You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren Lee Chen here along with the Fishman twins, a full squad of On the NBA Beat hosts. In an interview with CNBC before the start of this season, Scott O'Neill, CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers, was quoted as saying, If there's a second center of the basketball universe, it's China. We're here today with Coral Liu, a reporter and on-air host for ESPN China, and we'll be discussing with her the dramatic growth of basketball popularity in China as the NBA has just announced that the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets will be facing off in Shanghai and Shenzhen in the 2019 preseason. Despite her diminutive appearance, Cora loves food and exploring the best places to eat in each NBA city. In a recent interview with Damian Lillard over a late lunch, she enjoyed the Wagyu steak burger from Bamboo Sushi in Portland, and though afterwards the Blazer superstar had to adhere to his diet, Coral couldn't help herself from heading next door to Salt and Straw for an ice cream dessert. Hi Coral, so great to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, can you introduce yourself a little bit and talk to our listeners about the day-to-day responsibilities of your job as a reporter for ESPN China with regards to the NBA? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Coral Lu. I'm the host and the reporter for ESPN China. Um, I covered entire league so basically 30 teams not just like a regular beat reporter they have one specific team to cover so i basically travel 30 cities and um by daily basis so sometimes you probably will see me in san francisco on monday then on tuesday i will be already in boston um i cover 30 teams so my job is mainly the pre-game show and the post-game walk-off interview with the player they normally have a walk-off interview with a player right away. So that's what I do, too. Um, and for the pregame, I will talk about what the coach says for the presser and what some injury update and what I see something fun or, you know, very newsworthy before the game starts. Um, also, I will go to the morning practice or the morning shoot around to interview player, you know, make sure we get enough content for uh, to support that day's game. And after the game, we will cover the locker room, too. So my main job is cover all the important national televised game that is broadcast for China. And also, I do a lot of feature stories with players. So, for example, Dirk's 30,000 points game. So I was at that game. I had to cover that. I had a one-on-one exclusive interview with Dirk. Also, I do some feature fun pieces with the different players, like uh, DeMar DeRozan, Damian, you know, to promote their player image um, in China. So that's basically my job. Very cool. And we all know that the NBA is massively popular in China. According to the Chinese Basketball Association, there's an estimated 300 million people who play the game in China. It's the most, the NBA is the most followed pro sports league 
on social media with about 150 million followers. What do you attribute this massive popularity to both historically in China, because there is also a long history of basketball in China, and also more recently with the growth of social media? Um, I would say the very beginning when Chinese people first started to watch NBA is during the Michael Jordan time. So when Michael Jordan was playing for Chicago Bulls, that was obviously the first time they opened the door for all the foreign, especially Chinese fans out there. Because that time, uh, CCTV, which is our uh, government television, they started to national broadcast all the Chicago Bulls game. So that was back in 1991, 1992, right? Then when Yao Ming was uh, drafted and when he started to play for Houston Rockets, we start to um, focus on all the Rockets game. And also whenever there's a team play with the Rockets, we always broadcast those games because Yao is like our first real man that is playing for the league. And he was like all-star level, Hall of Famer. When he was playing it, we had a lot of Chinese reporters. They actually moved from China to Houston to cover our Rockets game. And all those games are highly promoted in China. So I would say Yao is the most important person that are really pushing the NBA to the Chinese market. And obviously, before Yao, we had Wang Zhizhi who played for Mavericks. Then after Yao, we had Yi Jianlian. We have Sun Yue play for Lakers. But none of them has such big impact like Yao. And right now, he's our president of CBA. So you can see how important he is. But I also think... NBA and NBA China, they really did a good job promoting their image and the players. They're sending different players to China every summer. And sometimes they also send some retired players like Alan Iverson, you know, Olaju Wong. They all went to China to try to do some special things for the Chinese audience, even like NBA care. Like they would promote all the, you know, just try to make sure the community is good. The community is also very healthy. They love to play sports. So I think all those stuff, it's, it's coming from different direction. But I think Yao is definitely the biggest factor. Yeah, and I think it's really impressive also that there are so many Chinese fans of the NBA, given uh, the dedication required to watch a live broadcast of the NBA in China, given the time difference. Most games are either early in the morning or very mm-hmm. late at night. I think one of the stats, we have the numbers. So for some important games, like very interesting matchup when Warriors and the Rockets play against each other. So Rockets is definitely the most popular team, but Warriors is also the champion team. So when those two teams are playing it's crazy and this year's western conference final for the game seven it break the historic record so we hit 70 million views for this game seven wow so lauren referenced the fact that these games that are being broadcast live in china are in the morning there Mm -hmm. And so that takes an extreme level of dedication. A lot of times people, I'm assuming, are at work or at school and they're just yeah. trying to catch these games. And so that brings me to the importance of mobile platforms for viewing games in China. How huge are they and how does that differ um, in your mind from the use of mobile platforms in the U.S.? 
Um, so in the U.S., I'm pretty sure like we all have like ESPN apps or you know NBA apps installed in our phone. But in China, a lot of younger generation, like the people that are from my age or even younger, we don't even watch TV anymore. So TV is just something you know we put it at home. Maybe our parents or grandparents they watch it. But for people like my age or even younger, we always use smartphone or iPad. So we we download the app. We have a app which is our partner. It's called Tencent Sports. So T E N C E N T. Mm-hmm. So Tencent Sports is our partner, and they have the exclusive broadcast rights in China right now. So if you want to watch NBA game, all you need is you download that app. You know, whenever you are on subway or you are on bus shuttle, go to work, or you are mm-hmm. at school or at work, all you need is just open that app and you can start to watch the game. So it's really convenient. You don't even need to watch the TV anymore because it's just so easy to carry around those smartphones. Yeah, that rights deal that you referenced with Tencent was was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The mm-hmm. NBA agreed to that deal in 2015. Yes. And then another one uh, with Weibo too. And, and Tencent, I think it's important to note, owns WeChat. And yes. they have more than 1 billion monthly active users. I know the population is huge in China, the biggest in the world, but I can't even begin to comprehend what that means. 1 billion monthly active users. It seems like such a smart strategic decision on the part of the NBA. Have you seen what the impact is of that? Yes. So I would say before I mentioned the CCTV. So CCTV is like a real televised network. But the problem is they only broadcast everything on TV. But nowadays, no younger generations, they watch TV. And Tencent, uh, this company, they really started with the, all the video work and, uh, you know, video games and all the, you know, kind of like online gaming system. So it really attracts a lot of younger generation with they're in like fifth grade, sixth grade. So when I was little, I played their game. So I kind of grew up with it. Then they started to develop all kinds of social media, including WeChat. And then everyone's been using it. So now all the younger generations in China, we just use WeChat. And I think at NBA, they like Tencent and they like to you know, sell this rights to Tencent because they just have so many active users and they have such great platforms. So whenever they watch all the NBA games, they see all the younger people are running to this platform to engaging and to watch the game and unlike you're watching tv normally if you're watching tv either you're at home or you're at the bar with a bunch of your friends right but in china if you are just watching the nba game in your social media platform in in this tencent app they have different sections. So one section is watching the game then you can go to the next section you can actually type something like oh lebron had just had that crazy dunk did you see it then all it's kind of like a small reddit but like a live reddit it's underneath so all the users they don't even know who they are you know but they can just engaging and interacting underneath so it's really fun to watch the game so it's a combination of social media and broadcasting yes so you basically you're watching this game with a lot of people at your age but you can also watch the game and talking to them at the same time that's really cool. I can imagine that that level of engagement and interactivity just makes the, the brand just blow up that much more. And yeah. another way um, you can see 
the massive reach of the NBA in China. Is there over 200 retail stores in China called NBA style stores mm-hmm. that sell NBA merchandise? And according to NBA China CEO Derek Chang, the NBA has become a lifestyle crossover entertainment concept beyond just the games. What can you tell us about the segment of the Chinese population who love the NBA brand distinct from just the on the court product? They may not watch the games um, or even know the players that well, but they're still wearing the products and buying them. First, I think it's very important to point out the demographics of Chinese NBA basketball fans. I would say ninety uh, percent, or at least eighty-five percent, NBA fans from China. They're aged from sixteen to thirty-five or thirty, you know, like late thirties. So that's a really specific demographics uh, because a lot of older Chinese people they might like soccer, but they they did not watch basketball. But all the younger generation, or like the people around my age, we all kind of grow up with basketball, so it becomes our part of our daily life. And then you also take a look. There's some certain teams they have very、um, strong female fans, like Golden State Warriors. A lot of their Warriors fans from China, they all girls. The main reason is they all like Steph Curry. They all like Clay Thompson. They think Splash Brothers are so cute. You know, they have baby face, so handsome. So that's what they like.、Uh, so each team they really knows how to target the audience. But then if you take a look at the style. Uh, when you go to China, all those stores,、um, some like sometimes like warriors, Chinese fans they feel proud to be warriors because they like to wear the warriors jersey. So you see someone is wearing the jersey, Steph Curry's jersey. But oh, okay, I have some sort of connection with him, you know, because they are not from San Francisco, they don't have that home pride. But if they have that home team pride, they still could be connected, and. They like to have small gatherings. So, for example, when Steph Curry was having his、uh, birthday, I think a lot of Warriors fans they kind of just have a campaign together. Then they gathered in Shanghai, a very expensive area. They reserve a very very expensive screen from a fancy building, and that screen was keep playing the Happy Birthday video for Steph Curry. So all the fans from Warriors, they made it. So that's how、uh, Chinese fans they feel proud to be a certain teams. Then they like to wear the merchandise. They like to be recognized by some other people. You know, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that Yao Ming is one of the biggest reasons for the massive popularity of the NBA in China. He's currently the commissioner of the Chinese Basketball Association. And was a huge star and larger than life figure when he played. Can you give us more information about how Yao impacted this phenomenon so much? I think Yao, he like in general, everybody when they talk about Yao, they will say, "Oh, he's such a great player. You know, he really knows how to play basketball on the court." But Yao is also a very, very smart person. Like he's just very intellectually smart. And when you talk to him, when you you know when you do the media interview with him, you can tell he's a very smart, and he is really, he really knows like what he is going like what kind of message he's trying to send to people. So in China, like 
our CBA has a very different rule with MBA. And obviously, a lot of people, they have questions about whether the schedule is good, whether this one is, you know, whether they should do this certain matchup rather than the other one, because, you know, on Friday night, obviously, there will be more people watching. Saturday weekend, more people watching. So when Yao played for MBA, he kind of really learned all the knowledge and learned everything that he sees in America. Then so when he went back to China, he kind of spread his knowledge, kind of telling all the staff, hey, for example, Friday, we want like in America, they always want to have, for example, like they always want to have warriors play with Thunder or they always want warriors play with the Lakers. So on Friday in China, we also should have two very popular teams play against each other. And so when he sees all those things, he knows like how could he use the stuff that he learned from America then change the policy in CBA. But also because Yao really carry the entire country's pride and hope because it's just really we never had someone who has been so successful playing the league for a long time. And even though if you look at it right now, we don't have any NBA players from China that are playing in the league right now. We had one, but he just got cut like two weeks ago. So now we don't have anyone. So I think that the main reason just because Yao just really carried the entire country's hope and he's so smart, he was able to make sure everything is moving forward to the right direction. When Yao debuted in 2002, uh, more than 200, 200 million people in China watched. That mm-hmm. game was against Shaquille O'Neal's Lakers. And that year, um, it led to the NBA opening an office in Beijing. Another player who's huge in China, Jeremy Lin, according to Mailman Group's NBA Red Card 2018 report, Jeremy Lin is the country's most popular current player. Can you take us back to to Lin's sanity and explain what that did and what impact that had? Um, I think it's more about his story. So Jeremy, we all know he is a underdog. We all know that he... He got cut by Warriors, got waived by other team. Then, you know, he finally landed in Knicks. He was about to get cut again. Um, but he was coming from nowhere. You know, an Asian kid, really, like nobody knew him. And he was able to play in Madison Square, playing like super well. So that's kind of like leading to another another hero type that Chinese People, Chinese fans, they like underdogs. So if you take a look right now, Steph Curry was kind of underdog too. Um, he was not like LeBron James, right? It's like when he first came, he was with so much popularity and so much hope. And everyone think uh, LeBron's going to be the best player ever already. Steph was kind of like that type of person too. So I think Chinese fans, they kind of see two ways from Jeremy Ling. First, he is an underdog. And he worked extremely hard and was able to stay in the league, although he got injured straight for two seasons. But now he's kind of coming back again. And also, um, Jeremy Lin is just an Asian. It's very important to see a Asian face. And he's a very humble person. So when Jeremy Lin goes to China, he shows a lot of love. He really appreciates the fans and really respect how much fans, they are loving him, they're supporting him. So I think this is something Chinese fans, that's why they have such important emotional attachment with the Jeremy Lee. 
That's fascinating to know that the Chinese fans respect the underdog story and how important it is to have an Asian player in the league um, to look up to, even though he was born in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So this this is going to mark the eighth straight season the NBA has held games in China. They've all been preseason, and they also host community events when they're there. How important do you think it's been for the NBA to, to physically travel to China and, and the fans to be able to, to experience the NBA up close? I think it's extremely important. Every year, NBA, they try to make it more diverse. So you can see, like, two years ago, it was Rockets and the Pelicans. No, actually, three years ago, it was Rockets and the Pelicans. When James Harden was getting very big, Anthony Davis, you know, he needs a little bit more pushing on the promotion side. NBA really tried to do those two teams. And then two years ago, it was Warriors and the Timberwolves. That time, Jimmy Butler just got traded to Timberwolves. Then Warriors, they won the championship. That was a huge game. Then last year, it was Mavericks and the 76ers. And the 76ers was rising. They're one of the best team in the East right now. And the Mavericks, they had a Dirk, which is also going to be a whole famer in future, one of the best player ever. And the Dirk has a lot of loyal fans from China too. And I think NBA is really smart choosing which team they're going to promote each year. And of course, why it's important to Chinese audience, they don't, they're not like us. If we want to go watch a game, if you know we are in Chicago, we can just buy a ticket online. We take Uber, we drive to the game, then we watch the game. It's very easy for us. If you're a Lakers fan, you might have to buy a ticket, go to LA, watch the game, and, you know, of course, reserve a hotel, stay there, watch the game. But it's not like international travel. For Chinese fans, you have to travel 14 hours at least to fly all the way from China to America. Then you have to also apply for the American visa. You also have to make sure the hotel is secured. You also have to make sure the tickets was bought. So all those factors, you have to secure all those problems. Then you're able to just watch one game. And that cost at least, I would say, 2000 to $3,000 just to watch one game. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of Chinese crazy fans. You know, they are Warriors fans or Lakers fans. When I was in West Coast, they flew all the way from China to America to watch the game. I also see some crazy LeBron fans. They flew all the way from China to Cleveland, which is a very small city. Not a lot of fun stuff to do, but they still just want to be <laughs> there to watch LeBron's game. But I would say... You know, it's just a lot easier for a team to fly all the way to China to do. Although it's a very exhausting trip, but those teams, they have their team's private jet. So the trip won't be that that tiring. And it's a good opportunity to for, for all those teams to promote their brand and their players' image in China too. Because you go as a group, it won't be you know, that boring, you're going with their teammates, you're going with their staff members and a coach, and you can see all those crazy fans. So now those teams, they realize, okay, it is important to market in China. You did a really good job of going through the cost-benefit analysis of teams deciding to go to China or not. I know they may not have a big say in the matter. It might just be the NBA just decides which two teams are, are most fascinating, the best storylines, and just has them go. But mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about 
your understanding of how the teams approach it? Because it is a small sample size, but I was looking at recent years, teams' level of success or lack thereof starting the season once they begin in China, given just how tiring it can be, all the travel and what it can do for players' health potentially too. Is there ever a pushback from teams just... They don't want to start their season traveling internationally and being tired the first couple of weeks of the year. Yes. So I've actually heard the three teams they pushed back before. So one is Boston Celtics. So when they first won the championship in 2008, the league really tried to invite Boston Celtics to China. And that time, the team owner, he was debating too because they were thinking, okay, they know it's a very... It will be a very entertaining and interesting trip for the players, but obviously physically it's very tiring. And second, they have to make some sort of agreement on the hotel where they stay. So, you know, when NBA players go to China, they don't only go just as a players. They have to bring all their staff, all their PR people, all their marketing team, coaches, you know, they all go to China. And also they have to bring their equipment, their jerseys, also their floor, so their wood floor from the arena, they have to ship those floor because those are the NBA game quality floors. So that's a lot of work. And they also have to make agreements on hotels. Just, you know, a lot of NBA players, they like to stay in Ritz-Carton. They like to stay in those uh, four or five-star hotel. Or they have to make sure all those costs are covered by NBA China. And all those tickets, make sure each ticket NBA China is selling during that period of time are able to cover all the expenses. So that time I heard there's some like they couldn't make the agreement. So Celtics, they pushed it back. And also they tried to invite the Lakers before. But that time Lakers, they were just already so popular. You know, they know that Chinese fans, they love them. They know that they already get so much coverage. So I think they also uh, turned down the request too. And the last year, when LeBron was in Cavaliers, Cleveland was supposed to go with the Seven Sixers to China. But that time they had the drama going on, which is a Kyrie Irving's drama. You know, he requests to leave the team, everything. So when that happened, Cavaliers told the league, no, we are not going to China. You know, we, we want to make sure that everything is under our control first. Then we will consider about a foreign market. So Cavs was supposed to go with seven sixes to china but they did not go and that's how mavericks was stepped in and the mavericks because mark cuban really wants to make a lot of good chinese impression and make a good connection with china so mavs went china instead but this year because lebron is in lakers and the nba knows how much lakers and lebron mean to china so this year it's going to be i think it's a brooklyn nets and Lakers. So Markel Fultz had an interesting quote I'm going to read about his preseason trip to China. It's insane. It's really insane. Just being able to drive down the street and see yourself or one of your teammates on a poster just driving on the bus. It's pretty crazy just to see all the way out here in China and how global the game has become. So it's a wonderful thing, definitely, that these Chinese fans are getting to see the NBA in person and that the players are having this cultural experience too. Are there players or teams in particular, you think, who market themselves more specifically in China? Um, it seems like the, the Rockets, Lakers, and Warriors, as you said, all have large fan bases. 
Yes, those three teams they are doing great jobs marketing China. But also, actually, I think a lot of people they don't know we have a Chinese social media called a Weibo, and each team they have their official Weibo account. But for Warriors, Rockets, and the Lakers, they actually hired a native Chinese person that lives in the United States, lives in their city, to run and manage the social media for them. So I know there's a girl. She works for Warriors. She posts all the highlights, all the Warriors interview after the game, and subtitle all of them to their social media account. Rockets, same thing. So they really, really. Have like someone is completely dedicated into this Chinese market, and also Rockets. They have a China marketing and sponsorships team. So if you take a close look at all the Rockets home court game, you see a lot of Chinese commercial and sponsorships inside of the arena because they know that you could get a lot of sponsorships from China. That's how they get you know the wine commercial. Or they get a lot of other like media commercials, so they all paid money to this team. So I think those teams they're really smart because they see you can also get good、uh, financial benefits from it. You make good profit, but also at the same time you are promoting your brand in China. So those three teams they did a very good job. Clippers they also did it before. I'm not sure if that person is still working for Clippers, but I know. A year ago, there was someone was managing Clippers、uh, social media for China too. So I think more and more teams they started to realize, okay, we need someone to you know do those things for me. Another cool thing is, according to the Seventy Sixers CEO Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and former Sixer Dario Saric, they each have a WeChat and Weibo accounts. How、yes. how cool is it that? Non-Chinese NBA players are getting into the act and engaging with their Chinese fans.、Um, I think it's very important. And one thing I wanted to add: it's not only those three players. So those three players, I think they just opened their Weibo account probably a year ago, half a year ago. But if you take a look, all those superstars, they all have Chinese Weibo. So. Steph Curry, he's very active on his social media. Sometimes he would even interact with some Chinese celebrity who follows him. Also,、uh, LeBron James, Chris Paul, James Harden, Damian Lillard, all of them—they all have Chinese social media. And a lot of them, it's not like oh, like LeBron is managing his Weibo by himself, or you know, like Chris Paul is managing it by himself. But they sometimes, whenever they updated something from their Instagram, Twitter. The Chinese social media was running by their agency will be updated again. Steph Curry, he is the one who's managing his own social media because sometimes he would even do live streaming on his social media with his fans in China. That's why how he gets so popular. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. I'm Brad Botkin with CBS Sports, and I'm on the NBA beat. In a previous answer, you talked a little bit about the fan engagement. When you have a live broadcast on Tencent, there's a little chat section underneath where fans can live chat about what's going on in the game.、Mm-hmm. Last year, there was actually a a fun thread on Reddit that had a list of a bunch of funny nicknames 
for NBA players that are used in those little chat sections. For example, a, a nickname they would say for LeBron James is Xiao Huangdi, Little Emperor. Yeah. How prevalent are those, and do you have a favorite nickname of those? Um, I actually asked Yanis before, you know, Yanis Antonokumbo. Mm-hmm. So his nickname was Letter Bro. Mm-hmm. It's very easy just because he has so many letters in his name. So people call him Letter Bro. <laughs> I also asked him in person too. He never heard about it, but he likes it. Um, I also think Anthony Davis' nickname was pretty cool, but his nickname is pretty much just like American nickname because people calling him the bro, right? Like the unibro. Yeah. Yeah. So his nickname is also like unibrow. So that's pretty funny too. And I also like Steph Curry's nickname because we call him like elementary school student. Yeah, because he has such such a cute baby face. So there are a lot of uh, fun nicknames. So those two are probably my favorite. Also, you've been talking a little bit throughout the interview. Obviously, we had Yao Ming in the early 2000s come into the NBA and be an all-star Hall of Fame level talent. And a little bit later, Yijian Lian entered the NBA and had a few good seasons. But since then, it seems like Chinese basketball nationally has taken a little bit of a step back. As you referenced before, Joe Chi just got caught by the Rockets a few weeks ago. Do you have any insight about why that is, why we haven't seen a really top-level prospect since probably Jian Lian and Sun Yue? You know, I think it just really, we we didn't really have the eyes. I think there are two big reasons. First, we don't really have the the right scout. They haven't been able to find the right piece from those professional athletes i think it's not because we are lack of talent we actually have a lot of talented basketball players but they haven't been discovered yet because it's not like in the united states you know you you go to school you go to middle school you go to high school then you played basketball every year with a team so if you were really killing or becoming like a baller in middle school, then people start to recognize you. Then they will keep following you in the high school. Then you go you go to NCAA Division One school. You know, you play for like Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, those great universities. Then eventually you got drafted. It's a very complete and a very great system in the United States. Although a lot of people say, oh, there's a lot of problems with NCAA athletes too but if you take a look i think it's already really really nice because each kid each talented basketball player or talented basketball kid they got that opportunity to show their talent in public but in china it's not like chinese kids they were taught you need to study hard study 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 then pass the national exam then go to great university a lot of them they might want to be a basketball player, but their parents are turning down their dream because parents think, oh, you should not play basketball. You should just be a doctor. You should just be a scientist. That is the more realistic for you. So you are basically picking a bunch of kids who get the permission from their parents that are allowed to play basketball. That's probably only like 5 or 6% of those people. Then you are picking the talented player from that small pool which is really difficult. I think each kid in China, they should be encouraged to play basketball. So the scouts, the, the athletes department, they will be able to find the right, the real talented player. 
but you know now everyone's just spending all their time on studying. Just changing gears back to an American basketball player who found a lasting home and legacy in China. I'm talking about Stefan Marbury, who spent seven plus seasons, developed quite the following in China. Help me assess the rareness of a former NBA player, the stature of a Stefan Marbury, actually making it there and becoming such a legend. Is is that going to be very rare going forward, or is it a formula that you think could be repeated? I think、uh, Stefan Marbury is a phenomenon in China. I think it's not going to be. You're not going to see him like all the time. I think it's going to be really rare. Not because there's not like a lot of good basketball player playing for China. Yes, they are. I think the next possible one might be Jimmer Fredette,、oh, but he's 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 so far. Like Jimmer Fredette is like dropping like forty fifty points per game in the CBA, but he he hasn't bring a championship. The the rare thing for Stephen Marbury is he was able to bring a championship to a team. That everybody doesn't think was good, and he brought. He did not only bring one; he brought three. You know, so that's so. Yeah, yeah that's very important. So he is bringing a championship to the capital city of China, and everybody thought that team sucks, but it's not. You know, so that's something he was doing that unusual, and he is really showing. Anything is possible, you know. It's also kind of like the underdog story, you know. You、right. think our team's not good, but you know, you see what we we won the championship. That's why all the capital people they love him so much. That's why they built the statue. Yao Ming did not get a statue, but he he got it. Yeah, that, that's a great piece of information. Do they have a museum of, of him too, or? Yeah, so he has、awesome. a museum too. You know, display、uh, all his old picture when he was baby, everything, all the <laughs> moment. I have a friend who visited. It. I saw pictures; pretty cool. Another difference too between Fredette and Marbury is that Marbury was a star in the NBA, and Fredette was really good in college at BYU, a dominant collegiate player. But he went to China after it just really didn't pan out in the NBA. Whereas Marbury was a star for ten years or more in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a little bit of a difference.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Marbury phenomenon is really interesting. I know we're we're kind of all over the place. We just want to maximize our time with you as we wind down. You, of course, got your graduate degree at Northwestern's Medill Program for Journalism, where Joshua, my co-host, is currently attending, co-host and brother.、Um, <laughs> how has that helped your career? That experience. Academically, and just the reporting in the field that you got to do while you were at Medill, how has that impacted your career so far? So when I was at Medill, I didn't really take the sports journalism. I mean, I was in the MSJ program. I did a lot of broadcast class, but I think Medill really helped me with all the questions. You know, I know how to ask the proper questions. I know how to refine my questions. You know. Just you know, go to the key point, but also Medell really helped me being confident on camera. So when I was doing all those interview with the players, especially after the game, it's all live. And the crazy thing is, in America, if you are the sideline reporter, you're doing everything in English because you're native American. But when I was talking to the player, I have to interview the players in English because you know they don't understand Chinese. And then after finishing the interview, I turn to the camera. 
I speak everything and I translate everything the players said into Chinese at the same time. So it was a life that's really required a lot of technique and skills. You know, attending Madeira really helped me to be confident, be on camera, and make sure that every time when I run to the point, it is very logic. I was talking everything. You know, make sure I know everything. So I think Madeira really helped you to prepare to be. In a professional environment like that, this sounds a little cliche, but everyone's building and developing and growing their brand nowadays, and it becomes so important to stand out as a journalist. You do, in my opinion, an impeccable job at doing that on Instagram. For one, I'm curious how you've、um, adapted to the changing social media climate. How important it is in your career, and then also if there are any other. Social media that have been really important for you aside from Instagram. So I mainly use a social media called Weibo, which is a Chinese、okay. social media. So I don't put that much effort on my Instagram because my major audience are all Chinese audience, right? But I think social media is really a best way to marketing yourself because you don't really need to. Spend money or doing anything, and every time when I do a player interview or when I do something fun with a player, I just post it on my Weibo, and then right after that, all the Chinese fans they're gonna retweet it. So, for example, like because I don't have a lot of American fans here, so I don't think I have a lot of followers on my Instagram. Probably only like three thousand or something. But just for the past two years, I registered Weibo and I got. Nearly hundred twenty thousand followers from a Chinese Weibo. That is a really big number, just for a reporter just started two years ago.、Mm. I think that's why, like, social media is helping me to build up my brand, but also promoting my reputation. That everyone sees me. That oh yeah, she is Coral. She's the Sala reporter. So they would like to search me, and they will see all my work and make sure that. All my work was able to be seen by all the basketball fans. Yeah, that's a huge influence, and you're being a little humble too. Your, your、um, side Instagram account that you don't even really focus that closely on—it's closing in on four thousand. So hopefully, you get over that hump soon too. But、um, no, I know I know how important Weibo is to you and to growing your brand and. I just want to emphasize this. We really appreciate your time. It's been fascinating talking to you about the growth of the NBA in China and all these related topics. I just have one final question for you.、Mm-hmm. Just more on a lighter note, you've been interviewing players all over the NBA. Some of the the better players in the league and the more interesting ones. Who are some of the ones that stand out to you, producing the most memorable or, or funny encounters that you've had? Well, so personally, my favorite player is、uh, Dwayne Wade、um, because I I just like to watch him play when he played for Miami Heat. But the player that I have the best relationship with, and the player that I think is the most fun to be interviewed, it should be Damian Lillard because he's just such nice, humble, modest. Player and he's very easy to coordinate. Like if you talk to Damian Lillard, you will know like how nice he is, and he's willing to do basically anything that the reporter is asking to do. So he never had that you know superstar or star 
attitude in him. He is also very goofy too, you know. So like, actually, two days ago, we just aired that piece. I was asking him like, "Who do you think was the hottest female celebrity in America?" Then he said Scarlett Johansson, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't expect you say her." Then he was like, "Yeah, but you know, I don't really want to point at someone else's wife, you know, because it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable." But also, he <laughs> thinks like he's the most handsome NBA player in the league. He's very proud of his face because he thinks he has like a sexy li- lips. So all those like a funny. <laughs> you know, funny quotes coming out from his mouth. You're kind of like, oh, I didn't know he was such an honest person. You know, he's really fun to talk to. Yeah, Damian Lillard seems so down to earth. He dabbles in rapping as well. And going back to the thing you talked about earlier, the underdog thing, as you mentioned how underdogs are big in China, Damian Lillard, the epitome of an underdog at Weber State, counted out throughout his career. He's been snubbed by the All-Star game too many times. And I just think that that that's a phenomenal thing that you've just enjoyed so much your time with him. Yeah, yeah. We are trying to promoting him in China too. So hopefully he will get more votes for NBA All-Star this year. Yeah, hope so. Again, great job. And we won't be mad at you if you share this interview on Weibo and we blow up on China. (laughs) In China. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.